Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 verse 16 to 26. I was um, at training this week, a seminar from Monday morning, 6.30. We left uh, to the Free State, Grunstadt, and I got back Thursday afternoon at 3.30, and it was jam-packed, meaning the, the training. Uh, little space to breathe, enough space to eat. <laughs> and so uh, that's why I wasn't in the pulpit this morning here. I was preaching at Springs Baptist, Afrikaans Baptist Church, for a colleague of mine. And I started the preparation for this message a bit during the training, but on Friday morning, actually, the message on personality disorders and schizophrenia. And so it's so much research, I did a lot already, and I thought, I'm not going to get done. So um, I took a passage that we studied while we were there, and then uh, worked it into a sermon. So Galatians 5, verse 16, and as you saw on the YouTube link or on the screen in front of you, the theme for this evening's message, how to be godly. Godly just means being like Christ, living like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the throne of grace. We come to the Most High, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of glory, the God of our salvation. And we pray that you would give us open eyes. Last Sunday evening, in the dark, load shedding, this evening, lights on. But I pray that the light of the gospel would shine into our hearts and the light of the Spirit through the Word of God would shine into our hearts and give us the light of salvation and of the life of holiness in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. If you have an Afrikaans Bible, it will be verse 2. But it says, David is saying, Where is the godly? Where are the godly people in the land? There's no one upright anymore. Micah chapter 7, Verse 2, the same thing. The prophet says, where are the godly? It's like they've disappeared off the face of the earth. And we might say the same kind of thing. You just look at South Africa. You look at Western culture. You look at the world. And you say, where are the godly? That might have been written for our time. Those two verses I just referred to. Some people, or maybe even many people, we might look in the church and see many religious people. And Timothy says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, These people, you look at them externally, outwardly, they look godly, but the power of godliness, it's not there. It's like they don't really have the power to live upright, holy, obedient, and godly lives. So where are the godly, I ask you? Where are the true godly people in our day and age? And what does godliness look like? What does a life look like? where you look at a godly person. Is it, when, when I say godliness, am I referring to someone who lives in a cave and wears coarse material so he can actually itch and uh, pain and ache and he fasts for days on end, drinking only water? Is that godliness? Uh, is godliness someone who doesn't wear makeup? Someone who doesn't wear jeans? Someone who doesn't smoke and doesn't drink? Uh, doesn't use alcohol? Is godliness... Perhaps someone who speaks in tongues, who can speak in another language or as something, perhaps a heavenly language. You can do all of those things I just mentioned without being godly. 
Godliness is not a mystical quality. Godliness is not being all mystical and humming and meditating. Godliness is visible in an obedient life. Obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedient to the Word of God. Godliness is seen above all and par excellence in a person. And who is that person? Jesus Christ. And you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you study the life of Jesus. You, you look, what was Jesus like? That is godliness. So if you want to be godly, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, everyone who says that he abides in Christ, that, he, that he's one with Christ, should live as Christ lived, or walk as he walked. How do you become godly? And that's where we get to our reading, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, if you will follow with me. But I say, says Paul, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, to keep you, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, that's another word for proud, Provoking one another, envying one another. So a number of commands, if we want to be godly. The first command, walk by the Spirit. And that's in verse 16 and 17. Now what is, let me ask the youngest. Um, Yosha. Yosha ki. Wat beteken het om te loop? Weet jy nie? <laughs> okay, walking is a normal action. Walking is an everyday action. It's a natural action. It's something you do when you get up in the morning and you probably keep on doing that for a large part of the day and at night you get back into bed. So when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, he simply means it should be a normal action your day-by-day -day living should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So how do you walk by the Spirit? Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, if, if we read the next verse, you read of the desires of the Spirit, the desires of the flesh, that would mean there is, there's a, 
there's a prompting, there's a, a pricking in your heart, a prickling in your heart, a nudging in your heart, the, the Holy Spirit almost pushing a button and saying, come on, go and pray. So you're busy, uh, you're busy perhaps sitting in your lounge, uh, you had a long day at work and you take, took out a book or you're watching a, a nature documentary on TV and there's this desire in you. It's, it's not a voice you'll hear with your ears, but a, a nudging. Come on, go and pray. Or, or a nudging. Go and visit that lady in hospital. Go and visit that sick person. It's your last hundred rand for the month. Give it to that, that poor widow who's struggling. So, so those are the pricklings and the nudgings of the Spirit. And so by obeying those desires of, that the Spirit places in your heart, you walk by the Spirit. And, verse 16 continues, if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now question, why do we not always live that way? Why do we not always obey the nudgings and the promptings of the Spirit? Verse 17 has the answer. What does your Bible say? There's a war. And it goes on inside of us. There's the desires of the sinful nature. It's called the flesh. And the desires of the spirit. And these two fight against each other. So the flesh or the sinful nature, it hates everything that is godly. It hates everything that is holy. The sinful nature of man, it's not against religion. Your sinful desires don't hate religion because religion is self-centered. Like the Pharisees, remember, why do they pray? Oh, they pray because they hope. I hope someone hears how beautiful I can pray. And they will praise me for it and say, Oh, that prayer you said was wonderful. Where did you get that wonderful talent and that gift to pray like that? And so you see the sinful nature, the sinful desire of man is not against religion. It's against the Spirit. It's against the Holy Spirit. It's against true life. That comes by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 again. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The Holy Spirit hates everything about the sinful nature. It hates everything. He hates everything about the flesh. He hates sin. And so Paul ends verse 17. Or not end. Almost closer to the end. These are opposed to each other. They are diametrically opposed. They clash. They bump into each other. The spirit and the flesh. There's this fight. There's this war. And you see it actually in the verses that follow. And we'll get there where he describes what is a life, a life controlled by the sinful desire look like. It's a life, he says, of sexual immorality. It's a life of broken relationships and fighting. It's a life of, of evil practices. It's a life of, of loose living and drunkenness and so on. What is a life that is controlled by the spirit look like? It's a life of peace and joy and love, holy desires, and we'll get there uh, in a moment. So the, the, the flesh, the sinful nature of man, it's like a tree. Some of you have seen that we cut down a tree, not the branch that broke this week, another tree, and we had a big tree in our yard, um, and we had it cut down. Well, not our yard, the churches, you know what I mean. And so we had this tree cut down. And so now the tree, it's, it's not this, this massive plant in our garden anymore, but 
they are sprouts. These little green sprouts coming up here, and you have to pull them out. And sprout there, that's what the sinful nature is like. So Jesus, for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who've been born again, those who've been saved, it's like the tree has been cut down, the sinful nature, but there's still the remains of sin. It sprouts here, and you have to pull it out, and it sprouts there, and it's like you just can't pull up the weeds fast enough or pull up the sprouts fast enough. And, and these remains, the remains of sin in us, it's fighting against the spirit. Verse 17, it fights against the spirit. The flesh and the spirit fight. It's like, it's like ropes around your ankles. Just, just as you want to do what is right. It's like you're entangled in the ropes of the flesh. For instance, you want to go and pray. And then you feel sluggish and lazy. You didn't feel lazy a moment ago while you were watching TV. You didn't feel, uh, oh, I'm sleepy. No, you enjoyed watching the show or reading your book. But the moment you want to read the Bible, suddenly the flesh, it's like, you're tired. You can't read the Bible now. You've you had a long day. You need to get up early for work tomorrow. You need energy to serve the Lord. Or perhaps you're busy reading the Bible. And then, dirty thoughts come into your mind. Filthy thoughts, perverse thoughts come into your mind. Or, I, I won't let you put up your hands, but I'm just going to ask the question. Whose mind wandered while we were singing some of the songs? Your mind wasn't there. You could read the words, but your mind was somewhere else. That happens, right? You're busy singing, singing and you're thinking of something else. Not even thinking about what you're singing. Or maybe listening to the sermon. I shouldn't ask that. Whose minds wander? <laughs> but that happens. That's the flesh. And the devil, of course, helping the flesh. So that's the reason why we cannot always do right like we want to. End of verse 17. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. The things you really want to do as a Christian. It's like the flesh is pulling your, you back. There's this war, as I, as I said, and as Yosha read to us in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't, and the things I hate, I do. Why? Why? There's the battle inside. It's like you're swimming with weights around your ankles. Or it's like you're on the highway in your car doing 120 k's an hour, and the handbrake is on. <laughs> and you smell smoke. So that's what the flesh does. All right, second command, let the Spirit lead you. So the first one was walk by the Spirit. Second one, let the Spirit lead you. That's in verse 18 to 23. Now this illustration I got from someone else. I think it's a very good illustration. He says, your sinful nature, the flesh, it's like gravity. Uh, Marguerite, what happens when... You hold a tennis ball in your hand and you open your hand. Does the ball go up? Goes down. Why? Gravity. All right, so the sinful nature wants to pull you down. The Holy Spirit, says this preacher, is like a Boeing at the airport, O.R. Tambo Airport. A Boeing 747 with four massive and powerful engines. And the engines... They drive the plane forward, and the plane has wings, and eventually the plane pulls up. And Tani Lynette knows all about this. She worked at the airport for many years. And so the plane pulls up, and the engines with such force 
propel the plane forward that eventually it flies above the clouds. Is gravity still pulling? Yes. But the engines are more powerful. And so is the flesh pulling a Christian? Is it trying to draw you into sin? Yes. But the spirit is more powerful. But we must yield and obey the spirit. And I'll get to that in a moment. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin. You can say no to the sinful nature. Verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's possible by His power. And as soon as the Holy Spirit leads you, you are no longer under the law. Now, what does that mean if we say that? I think you need a bit of background. And many of you have this background, but for those who don't, or you need a refresher, I'm going to give it. So the Galatians, who were they? They were a group of Christians. Uh, I don't know if you know that Asterix and Obelix came from there. <laughs> they were Gauls. So uh, Galatia is a province in Modern-day Turkey, it would be more or less in the middle, from north to south in Turkey. I think actually Asterix and Obelix came from France. But Gaul, Galatia, uh, some think it's the same thing. So, these Galatians, they got saved when Paul preached the gospel to them in Acts chapter 14. Galatia, remember, is not a town, it's not a city, it's a province. There were a number of churches in this province. And so, one day, a group of Jews come to this province of Galatia and they come to these churches and they say, did you know the Apostle Paul? What did he tell you? What did Paul tell you? How must you be saved? And they, uh, they say, oh, Paul told us that we must be saved by, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And no, 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 Paul is completely wrong. You cannot be saved merely by believing in Jesus. You must be saved from your sins by believing in Jesus and... By being circumcised and by not eating bacon or lobster or prawns or ostrich or whatever unclean foods they had. And you must keep the Old Testament feasts. So actually you must become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And so Paul, and you can read, you can just read Galatians 1 to 6 and you'll, you'll pick it up. And so Paul now writes this letter to say, those people are lying. Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. I saw him with my own eyes. And Jesus shared this gospel with me. He gave me the gospel. I didn't receive it from any man. And you can go and check this with any of the other apostles, the spiritual leaders of the church. You can go and check it with them. They too will tell you we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul writes this letter to set it right and to almost like cement these truths into their hearts. To show this is the gospel. This is the true gospel. This is the real message of salvation. The good news of how sinners can be put right with God through Jesus Christ and by faith in Christ. Now we get to Galatians chapter 5. And in verse 18 Paul tells you if you're led by the Spirit you're not under the law. So Paul is showing us, how do you become godly? Not by keeping rules. Even God's rules. 
those who are led by the Spirit, verse 18 again, are not under the law. You see people make this mistake again and again. Paul answers the same issue in Galatians chapter, or not Galatians, just two books on in Col uh, three books on in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival, new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's in Christ that we find salvation, not in keeping feasts, not in eating certain foods and not eating other foods. Verse 20, Paul says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why? Why? Just tell me why. As if you were still alive in the world, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Don't touch that. You won't go to heaven if you're unclean. Don't eat that. Don't eat that food. If you want to be saved, you want your sins forgiven. Cut out the bacon, come eh? Referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom. Oh, keeping all these rules. It seems wise. Self-made, promoting self-made religion and ascetism. Ascetism means that, oh, I, I, I go and sit in a cave all day and I fast all day. I cut myself off from the world like a monk in a monastery. Severity to the body, whipping your body, lashing your body, wearing coarse clothes and... Uh, fasting for days on end to say, if I do this, God will see me and I might just catch his attention and please him. Paul says, nonsense. These are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the sinful, sinful nature of the flesh. You cannot kill sin by keeping the law. What is the purpose of the law? Well, it's definitely not that. I remember a man uh, many years ago now, I, I counseled the guy and eventually I thought, does this guy understand salvation? Because he said to me, man, can I not get a copy of the Ten Commandments somewhere? I want to stick them up in my house. Put them up in my house so I can read them every day and try and live according to them. Oh, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is God has given the law as a muzzle. You know what a muzzle is? If a dog bites, the vet puts it over the dog's mouth. And so the dog won't bite. So the law is like a muzzle. If God says, you break this law, he tells the Israelites, you die. Ooh, now I better think twice before committing a murder or before picking up sticks on the Sabbath or being a rebellious teenager because I might get the death penalty. So you think twice, but the law cannot actually change the desires inside. The law is a mirror. So the law shows you how ugly you are, how dirty you are, how you've broken God's law and how you've sinned. What do you do with a mirror? Do you take the mirror and wash your face? The mirror can't wash your face. It cannot change the sin. You need the soap and water of the gospel to do that. The good news of Christ and Christ's blood shed on the cross. The law is also a map. So it shows you which way is the right direction. But the law can't put you on that road and it can't keep you on that road. It's only a map. To show you should walk this way, but you're not. We sin every day. And then the law shows us God's character. It shows us what kind of God he is. For instance, if God says do not murder, why not? Because God is life. The law says do not commit adultery, why not? Because God is pure, and so on. So it shows you God's perfect character, and you can never reach it. You can never get there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are hopeless. 
The law cannot make you holy. The law cannot make you godly. How do you become godly? Verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 17. The desires of the Spirit. Verse 18. Be led by the Spirit. So the Spirit helps you. The Spirit now comes to you and He works in you an understanding of the truth. He works in you to see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners. That Jesus can cleanse you from your sin. That Jesus can empower you by His Spirit to be obedient and to learn the Word of God. There's this desire now to glorify Christ. What is the world, the spirit of this world, the spirit of the world, I put a small letter S, the spirit of your sinful desires, the spirit of the devil. Oh, they don't care about Jesus, so Jesus will look beautiful. No, the spirit of this world and the spirit of the flesh, the spirit of the devil wants you to think all about self. All about me. So the spirit, Spirit of this world and flesh and devil says, I deserve to have the last muffin, not you, Vian. Now, I need to be at the traffic light first. I'll just push in in front of you. Why do I want to buy that nice blouse or shirt at the shop? So, I wonder what I'd look like in it. People might just say, oh, that's a nice blouse. Or people might just, I might catch someone's attention or that guy in my school. I need to exercise, be at the gym every morning. Why? So I can feel good and look good. Oh, I need to make more money so I can buy more stuff so everyone can see me. Isn't that what every birthday party is about when you're eight years old? Maybe even older? Finally, one day in the year, everyone knows the universe revolves around happy birthday to me. It's my birthday tomorrow, you know. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit works in you and doesn't ask what's in it for me. The Holy Spirit works in you and said, how will this, how will this make Jesus look good? How will this glorify Jesus? What's in it for Him? How will this honor the Lord Jesus Christ? And that goes even for spiritual things. You see, because there's a way of reading your Bible and praying and attending church and singing praise where it's about me and not about Jesus. Oh, how will this help me? Oh, I'm going to start memorizing chapters in the Bible. And then everyone will say, wow, you know the Bible well. I'm going to pray to the Lord, oh Lord, I want to be holy, because if I'm holy, I'll be a powerful preacher, and maybe I'll, I'll be a celebrity preacher, and I'll have many views and likes on YouTube. That's not what the Holy Spirit does, that's the flesh. The Holy Spirit works in you and says, oh, I'm going to memorize chapter, chapters of the Bible, so I can know the Bible well to fight against temptation, so I can say no to sin and yes to Christ, so I want to honor Him. I'm going to pray that the Lord would make me a holy woman or a holy man. 
So if I'm holy, I might draw others to Christ and they say, why are you different? So they can meet Jesus and they would glorify Him too and want to please Him too. You see the difference? So the Holy Spirit asks, what will glorify Christ? What will glorify God? Now what if you've sinned? I got a message from a friend this week. And he said, Ivor, please help me. I feel discouraged. I should do everything to the glory of God, right? I should do everything to honor God, right? It feels like I'm failing. How can I do it all the time, 100% and never fail? And I sent him an encouraging message and I told him, get that book. <laughs> Gentle and lowly. But I sent him an encouraging message. And the great encouragement for us is, yes, we do fail. We do fail. We do not always live as we ought, as verse 17 at the end says. It keeps you from doing the things you want to do, the like the flesh is holding you back. But! Jesus shed His blood on the cross so that we can go when we have sinned and say, Father, forgive me. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, because Jesus died to wipe away my sins and cleanse me, please forgive me. I failed. I sinned again. I did not honor you as I ought to have done. And there's forgiveness, 1 John 1 verse 7 and verse 9. Now here's a question for you. How do you know if it's the Spirit leading you or if it's the flesh leading you, the sinful desire? How do you know? Because remember, your heart is deceitful. You might think, I'm doing this to glorify God, but actually you're doing it so people will see you and praise you. How do you know it's the Spirit leading you? Especially if 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 tells us Satan can, can camouflage himself and you think he's an angel of light, but he's lying to you. Well, it's not very difficult to know if it's the flesh or the Spirit. We can see it by verse 90 to 19 to 23. What, is, what does the flesh do in you? Oh, all sides, kinds of filthy and evil and wicked things. Sexual immorality mentioned, sorcery and witchcraft and um, idolatry and fighting and bitterness and anger and drunkenness and so on. That's the flesh. And then the effect and the, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, you know it's the Spirit because there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you to sin. Never. So do not say, and I've heard all these examples are real examples. Do not say, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my husband. There are biblical grounds, and there are only two for, for divorce. But, but I, I read that a woman said that the Holy Spirit told, no, no, we're very happily married. Actually, I love my husband, but the Holy Spirit told me it's time to move on. I have to get. It's not the Holy Spirit that told you that. The Holy Spirit told me I must marry this unbeliever. It's not the Holy Spirit that told you that. Because His Word tells us you can marry whom you wish, but only in the Lord. The Holy Spirit told me, I was standing next to the pastor as a church member, Wim, why, why don't you come to the worship services anymore? The Holy Spirit told me I shouldn't come anymore, I should stay home. The Holy Spirit did not tell you that. Or, some of you know this example, 
November 1988, Baron Stradom, Wit Wolf, went Pretoria, Stradom Square, and he, sh he killed eight people and wounded 16 because God told him to. It was not the Holy Spirit that told him. He was deceived by an evil spirit and by his own sinful desire. The works of the flesh, you'll know it when you see it. It says in verse 19, have you got your Bible open still? The works of the flesh are evident. It's obvious. Everyone knows. And you can divide these into four groups. The first group is sexual sin. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. So those sins, that is any sexual sin that goes against God's creative order in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. One man married to one woman for life. If you have two wives, if you have five wives, if you don't have a wife, but you're a man and you have a husband, if you're a woman and you have a wife, if you have a dog, if you have a child, you're a pedophile, or whatever kind of sexual sin that goes against, that is the work of the flesh, goes against the word of God. And, and that not only in your actions, but even in your thoughts. Matthew 5 verse 28. Even if you lust. And not only in your thoughts, but also in your words. Ephesians 5 verse 4. Sexual immorality should not even be named among you. Now, the LGBTQ plus community will tell us, but it's love. It is not sexual sin. It is love. Hashtag love is love. No, Paul tells us it is not love. It is lust. It is sexual immorality and it is evil. I remember a man telling me he was sleeping with his girlfriend and I rebuked him for it and told him you are busy sinning and you are disobeying God. And he said, but I love her. And I told him you do not love her. It's not love, it's lust. It's the work of the flesh. It's the work of the sinful nature, the sinful desire. The Bible calls it selfishness. You're just thinking of yourself and your own pleasure. The second group of sins clumped here is in verse 20, and that is pagan practices. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. Now, all of us know what idolatry is, but I'm not sure all of us know what the applications for idolatry are. Idolatry obviously would include bowing to little statues and idols, but idolatry is more than that. Jesus said even loving money is idolatry. Matthew 6 verse 24, mammon, right? He calls it mammon, money. Uh, or in Colossians 3 verse 5, anything that you desire so strongly you will sin to get it, that is an idol. What do you find your meaning in your ultimate fulfillment, ultimate meaning, ultimate happiness, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate pleasure? If it's anything other than God, it becomes an idol. I'm not saying you can't have pleasure in eating an ice cream, but it cannot be your ultimate meaning and fulfillment in life. Anything you place above God, it comes in, it hinders your relationship with God, that is an idol. And then, sorcery or witchcraft, well, that is the whole list you'll find in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 90, 14. That will, that will include playing occultic games, uh, satanic games, or getting involved in the occult, or going to a palm reader, or reading your stars in the U magazine, or in the newspaper, or uh, some other forms of uh, astrology. Anything of the kind, talking to the dead, crossing over, phoning, phoning Jacaranda FM and say, please can you talk to my dead aunt for me? Yeah, that is sorcery and it's evil. Works of the flesh. 
And then broken relationships. Here's a whole, a whole list of them. Verse 20 and 21. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And, and that is a mark of unbelievers. You want to see unbelievers? You just read that, those words I read. They love fighting and arguing with other people. There's always enmity and I'm better than you. Why does all of this happen? Because of pride. I will show you you are wrong and I am right. And that's why there's fightings, because I want to be first. I don't care what place you come, second, third, last, but as long as I am first. Unbelievers like, like to fight. Some, some of them are explosive and some of them just keep it inside and they stew and they brew and they're bitter and angry. And then another category of sins. No, with you maybe help. Losbandigheid in Engels, debauchery, just moral looseness. Also in verse 21, drunkenness and orgies. Uh, now, we all know what drunkenness is. What is orgies? Well, the Greek word actually there, it, it refers to a drunken, wild party where there's lots of sexual immorality. So that's the kind of thing that was happening in, and even happens today. And so this kind of person, they don't care who they hurt. They don't care if they hurt you. They don't care if they dishonor God as long as they are happy and they satisfy their lusts. And that is true not only of these sins that we mentioned, but Paul ends verse 21, or not ends verse 21, he says, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that can be any kind of sin. That is the work of the flesh. What will happen to such people? Verse 21, what's the answer? What will happen to such people? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will miss heaven. They will not go to heaven. Now that does that is, that is not go for people who repent of their sins. If you've repented of their sins, you've turned to Christ by faith and He has saved you, that does not go for you. That goes for the person who lives. That's his practice. That's his lifestyle. The Greek word there is actually, when it says those who do such things, do such things, that's in a continuous, uh, present continuous tense. That's your practice. You will not go to heaven. All right, so that's the works of the flesh. The life of the Spirit, what does that look like? A life controlled by the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 21 and 22 gives you the answer, or 22 and 23. But I first want to say this. Did you notice in verse 22, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits. Have you heard people say, die vruchte van die geest? The fruits of this. Not fruits. It's not plural. It's singular. That's important. Why is it important? Because it forms a whole. This speaks of an integrated life. It's not like, oh, I've got patience, but man, I don't have self-control. No. It's a package. All of it is interconnected. For instance, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, what does love look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. 1 Corinthians 13, right? So it's integrated. So your love is a patient love. It's a kind love. What about your self-control? It's a gentle self-control. It's a loyal self-control, faithfulness. It's a peaceful self-control. You calm and composed. What about your peace? It's a joyful peace. It's a loving peace. It's a good peace. Goodness. It's a kind peace. And so we, you get the idea. So it's all integrated. You can't say, I have the one, but I don't have the other. No, it's a package. These grow together in the Christian. And you become more and more 
godly. And also note, Paul doesn't say the work of the godly person is love, joy. He said the works of the flesh. Here he says the fruit of the Spirit. So as you are connected to Christ by faith, you know the, you remember the passage where it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So the branch is connected to the vine and the life of the vine flows through the branch and it bears fruit. So the life of Christ through His Spirit is in you and you bear this good fruit and you live a godly life and you live a God-honoring and God-pleasing life. Now, how does the Holy Spirit produce this fruit? It's not passive. And I'm not going to be too hard on these people because they're brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they're wrong. There are people who believe, and they're in this holiness movement, uh, the Keswick theology, there are people who believe you just sit back and you're passive, and holiness is something that happens to you. <laughs> you wake up and you're holy, and you've had this experience, and now you, you live in a state of, of unknowing sin, and it's almost like you can be perfect in this life. That is nonsense. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 13, Verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will as well as to work according to His good pleasure. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability, the desire, the power. He will do everything to work in you this desire to be holy, but He's not going to be holy for you. You must obey. You must yield to the Spirit and say, I submit to the Spirit's leading and His promptings in line with his word, and I will obey. Right, now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Again, you can split this into three groups. The first group is your relationship with God. Love, joy, peace. Where does that come from? Love the Lord, peace with God, joy in the Lord. All of that comes from God. He works it in you. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified. Jesus has made, the, there was war between us and God because of our sin. But Jesus paid the fine for sinners. And if you repent of your sin and trust in Christ, there's no longer enmity. There's no longer war. There's peace. And you feel the peace inside. The love that he has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has given us Romans 5 verse 5. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, Romans 15, 13. So love, joy, and peace comes from God, and it goes back to God. We love because He first loved us, right? Your relationship to others, verse 22, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Are there unbelievers who are loyal? Do you find unbelievers who we might say, goodness, that they do good works and they're kind? Yes. So how can we say this is the fruit of the Spirit if the Spirit doesn't dwell and live in unbelievers? Because the unbeliever has a selfish motive. Do Pharisees help poor people? Yes, Jesus said so. Matthew 6. Why do they help poor people? To get their photo in the Kempton Express selfishly motivated, or to have people like them. Did you see what I did? So it's not really the fruit of the Spirit. Christians, why do Christians do these good things to others? Because they want to honor God and be a blessing to others. And in the last category there in verse 23 you find, uh, some Bibles will have it in verse 22, and that is your relationship to yourself. 
And that's the last one on the list. What's that? Self-control. Over what? Your tongue, your thoughts, your desires, your emotions, your appetite. Self-control. So, have you got that down? How do you become godly? How do you become godly? Not by keeping the law. Verse 18, we saw that. Those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. But will the Spirit lead you against God's law? Verse 23, what does it say? Against such things there is no law. You see what the Spirit does? The Holy Spirit writes God's law in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you've been born again. And the Holy Spirit now helps you to live a life that is pleasing to God. What does a life pleasing to God look like? Is it against the law or in line with God's law? It's in line. But did you, did you get there by trying to keep the law? No. You got there by yielding to the Spirit. Because you can't do this on your own. You need the help of the Spirit. And when the Spirit lives in you, the Spirit transforms your character to look like verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. And who is, whose life looks like that? Jesus. Okay, finally and shortly, keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 24 to 26. A lady, some years ago, she attended our church because she was, she's from the Cape, but she was working in Gauteng. And she, for some months, she attended our church. And she thought that if she would write down verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and she would just try to do those things every day, she would be godly. <laughs> it's not how you become godly by trying to tick a list. And by the way, that lady was not saved. And she thought, if I can just tick the list and try, obviously you're not going to get that right, but she thought she could do that. You must be born again. You must be saved if you want to be godly. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus must, by His Spirit, make you a child of God. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Chapter 2, verse 20. You must be saved. Are you? Are you a child of God? Are you sure you are a child of God? Have your sins been forgiven? Is your conscience cleansed? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Does the Spirit dwell in you? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Or what dominates you? Is it the works of the flesh? Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, sexual immorality, and so on. Drunkenness, addiction. Now, if you have been born again, if you are saved, then the sinful nature is no longer your boss. You have a new boss and a new management. 
You have a new boss, and that is the Holy Spirit. So verse 24 again, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Spirit dominates. The Spirit rules. The Spirit is on the throne of your heart. Christ is on the throne of your heart. And what happens more and more, the more, more and more, the more you submit to the promptings and the prickings and the nudgings of the Spirit saying, no, no, this way, in line with the Word, in line with the Word, the more you submit to that and the more you say no to the desires of the flesh, the more your character develops and the more godly you become. The more Christ-like. Now, as you live, verse 25, if you live by the Spirit, who gave you life? I'm not talking about being born as a baby. Obviously, God did that. Um, but, but who gave you spiritual life? We must be born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives you life. Is it the Spirit who leads you to live a godly life? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Don't just start by the Holy Spirit and think, I can now do this on my own, live the Christian life. I'll live by my own power. You cannot. Galatians 3 verse 3, you foolish Galatians. Did you start by the Spirit? Did you begin with the Spirit? Now you want to continue in your own power, in the power of the flesh? We cannot do that. Keep in step with the Spirit every single day. Keep in step with the Spirit. That word keep in step is like in the army. Right? The sergeant major is saying left, right, left, right. And you keep in step. You keep in pace with his command. And you keep in step with the other soldiers, the other troops. Left, right, left. Keep in step with the Spirit. He's showing you do this. Here, here's the word. Obey the word. I'll nudge you. I'll prompt you. I'll speak to you. You obey me. You come under my word. You pray for help. And if you do, what will happen? Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Or verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see, the person, the person who submits to the Spirit, who yields to the Spirit, is not a fighter. It's not a brawler. The Spirit who controls the life of that person, that person becomes godly. And that person is then someone who doesn't do verse 26, fighting, conceited, envy, jealousy. No, that's where you find a peaceful marriage. That's where you find peaceful children and a peaceful family. That's where you find a peaceful church, not fighting and division and church splits. And not only do those godly people by the Spirit working in them, there's an atmosphere of peace and joy and love and so on. It spills over. Those people train their children. And those people pray for the salvation of their children. And those children, if they are same, the same and they grow in the Lord, there's another godly family. And they have children and they teach them the same. And then you have another godly family. When those are converted, and so it goes. And then maybe even a society. And you have such churches where there's godliness. And then where there's godliness, there's peace and there's unity. Can I ask you a very serious and very, very honest question? Almost done. Do you want that? 
If you do, then want it first and foremost, not so you can be a happy person and have a peaceful surrounding. Do it first and foremost because we live no longer for ourselves but for Him. That's the Spirit. Doing it for Him. And then you join a church or you sit in a church. It doesn't have to be this one. Wherever there's a church where there's sound teaching of the Word of God. Because that kind of teaching promotes godliness. 1 Timothy 6 verse 3. But be careful. You can give good and pure and true and sound teaching. And you, all you're interested in is making theological airheads. Their heads are filled with good theology, but it never sinks to the heart. What we want, and the goal of sound teaching is godliness. And we go forward in godliness, and you set your mind on things above, and you think of the second coming of Jesus, and what kind of person will you be then in terms of godliness, 2 Peter 3 verse 11, and you pursue godliness, and you persevere in godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 to 8. And I would encourage you to make Robert Murray McShane's prayer your own. Lord, make me as holy, make me as godly as a saved sinner can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself, I pray for the elders, I pray for our church. Make us godly people. Oh, work in us by your Spirit and help us to yield, help us to obey, help us to submit to the leading of your Spirit, the nudgings and the promptings in line with your most holy word. And may we draw others to Jesus that they too may become godly and worship the Lamb as we read in Revelation 5. And give glory and honor to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.